0: Welcome to Fargo Talks Fargo, a show about Fargo, not the city, the TV show. With me, Bill, and my buddy Sharpie. Sharpie, how you doing, my
1: man? Hey now, it's Monday. I guess Yay. not when you hear this. I don't know why I said that. This isn't live. No.
0: <laughs> and depending on the edit time, I mean this is we're at 9 p.m. Central. This might not be this might be after midnight when this comes uh, out. I'm new here. It might be Tuesday. It's Tuesday almost. Unless, like last week, I was a day late. So sorry.
1: Damn it, Bill. You know,
0: I do what I can. There, just,
1: are, there
0: are at people, least
1: a dozen people on edge waiting for that.
0: They're all depending on me. I know. I'm very sorry. I do want to say thanks to all the folks who, uh, <laughs> when I put that out, I was curious does anyone actually read the little notes I type into the thing? So there's, there's a couple of you who, immediately, snappy people sent me a message. So there's three of you. I'll send a message to you that says, hook me up with your address. I'll send you a little, uh, I'll send you a little, some specialness from Fargo.
1: Whoa, you're sending out specialness? Yeah, just to three people, not you. Mm-hmm. Not you. I'm sorry. That's okay. So, I just Marie condoed You feel good? Feeling good. You got all the joy a- in your life you need? Yep, I don't need any more specialness in this abode okay okay well i got
0: i just put some specialness in my tummy so me and this old tub are ready to talk to you
2: Mm.
0: when i say old tub i'm just not talking about myself oh i thought you were actually (laughs) (laughs) i am an old tub Uh, what are you talking (laughs) about then Uh, i don't know anymore so we're here to talk about season four episode eight the nadir the nadir or the low point the opposite
1: of zenith and apex. Right. I think it's pronounced Nader, like Ralph Nader. Nader. Okay, I'll take it. That's how I. The Nader. It. Okay, but Nadir sounds w- fancier. It does, doesn't it? It sounds like Nader. something you would order with your falafel. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I just I just typed it
0: in, and it's Nader. My bad. I apologize. For saying it so wrong.
1: <laughs> Everybody write in and tell us how dumb. Do not funny. write
0: in. Um, What an opening, huh?
1: How did you feel about uh, all this? Well, I was immediately disgusted and had uh, nightmares of VM Barga from season three with that whole yeah, the teeth. close-up of the mouth eating the steak. Ugh, Mm -hmm. so friggin' gross. Come on, man. Why do they got to do that to us? I don't know. The brutality of it all.
2: Ugh.
0: I want to know the backstory on these pictures, and I didn't get enough time to research it and figure it out. But these, like, people dead, these mobster kind of photos,
1: and then... Yeah, when they're talking about the wedding? Yes. Like, what the... I did not have time to research that. I apologize. The
0: meat... The meat, was, the meat was just enough that I almost didn't notice the photos until my second time through. And I was
1: like, "Oh God, what are you doing to me, Noah Holly? Why? Why? I mean, that must have been a gangster, uh, arranged marriage gone awry or something like that.: I don't know. It was bad. Because I mean, clearly a guy f-
0: this, this face first on the table. The guy laid out in the thing, and then, and then interspersed with Orietta's feet. Like if you got a foot yeah. fetish, this is like this is your totally jo- your You're jam. Like, yeah,
1: man, I knew I liked this show, son of a. Yeah, meat and feet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's, is that what Nader means, meat and feet? Yeah, yeah. Now let's get real. I don't, I don't want to. No, we're gonna have to. <sighs> we gotta do it. Homework, boy. Well, okay, boy, Desi. That poor lady. Her, like Both of these people in her life are terrible, aren't they? Her dad and her future husband. Assholes. But she, does she know that? <laughs> I don't know if she does, but I still feel for her. I mean, that's she, fair. You can feel for her. Cool. Nothing, nothing in this has shown us that there's anything wrong with her. She's a lovely woman, and she's somehow caught up in the lies of shitty, powerful men. It's almost like, hmm, what else
2: could that be like?
1: <laughs> she is the American woman. She's something like that. Sucks. Lame. Yeah, so that marriage uh, clearly arranged. We we briefly brushed by that relationship in what, like, first or second episode. Um, yeah. So, Josto's obviously working to get her dad elected mayor. Yeah. And in exchange for that, maybe the mayor looks the other way or something like that. We don't know. I feel, I mean, mean, we're just supposed to kind of assume these types of deals and arrangements are going on. I'm kind of annoyed by this whole thing. I mean, hopefully it ties in and is valuable at some point, but it just feels like one of those things that's, hey, not bringing joy to my life. It's just like a a storyline in the junk drawer that I have to deal with at some point. (laughs) Yeah, I, you know,
0: I've done a few bits and pieces of reading here, and there are times where I definitely, you know, if we were going to criticize the show, there's maybe some times tonight where we do it, but it doesn't mean we don't like the show and we don't like the messaging. I just think there are some storylines that either should have hit the cutting room floor or they were afraid to for some reason. But it's beyond me what that is. I think this storyline isn't super important, and I don't know. Like, Okay, I'm skipping way ahead. Did we really need to see the mother and have that really, like, you boys coming in from the yard playing, mom, oh no, you're dead. (laughs) That's way ahead. That's okay. We don't have to go in order. (laughs) Nobody says we have to. It'd be weird if they did. But that's just another like, oh, we better put that in here so we have somebody, you know, it's like, well, did they have like a bunch of stuff? I would be curious, did they shoot a bunch of scenes in in the recuts and the editing based on the fact that they had to stop production because of COVID? Mm -hmm. Was there something we ended up having to miss there? Yeah, it did. Is this one more thing
1: COVID ruined? (laughs) (laughs) It did seem a little bit like we, uh, in that split second where she was out on the deck, we had to uh, immediately fall in love with her, which we kind of did. You know, uh, we talked about it in the hot dish. And, you know, have some feels and she and be like, oh, she's a cute yep. little Italian mommy, probably making some uh, beautiful food inside. And we love her. And even though, you know, this is a gangster household, they're doing a lot of shit. No big stuff. deal. She feed, knows about it.
0: All the, Come on. All the murderers need food
1: yep. and love and she, from and their she parents. Knows they're murderers.
2: Yeah,
0: well, Papa's
1: gone. So it's and all up to Mama now. And then, yeah. I guess we know what happens. Ugh, sorry, I don't know where that was going. If you're just tuning into this podcast, you you should uh know that there's gonna be some spoilers. Yeah, spoilers I mean, rambling. We're eight we're eight episodes in. Sixteen actually. Yeah.
0: No, great, great opening piece picked by Maggie. Uh it was a uh, four pieces for piano from a ballet, uh, for El Amor Brujo, which uh translates to um Love the Magician or Spellbound Love.
1: Mmm. <laughs> You don't say.
0: Because, well, I think it's very fitting, as we seem to find out that Josto is quite enamored with her, even back though it me. makes him.
1: Yeah, we're back at the beginning. Not
0: not Josto's yeah, mother. Not that mom. Back... That's a whole. That's a. <laughs> that's back... a whole Freudian thing we're
1: not going to get into. <laughs> but it... no, I'm talking about the. am t- talking about the two turtle doves. Yeah, the two turtle doves <laughs> on the chicken powder, uh, having some crazy chicken love.
0: Just just a little help being asphyxiated. No big deal. Nothing to see
1: here. Yeah. Bless this mess embroidered on that pillow. Obviously, <laughs> a nod to Dax Shepard's unfortunately canceled show. Bless this mess. Actually, it's not unfortunate that show was terrible. Love Dax Shepard, but that show sucked. Come on.
0: You know, Dax Dax Shepard, huge Fargo fan. Even sent him Uh-oh. a note. Tried to get him to come on our podcast. Oh, crap. I should have said shocker. that. Big <laughs> shocker. Big shocker. No reply yet.
1: But we're expecting him to reply any second now. Yeah. I think,
0: I think the real important things that we find out here outside of their twisted relationship is, is basically it sounds like she's a product of her upbringing and her mom had Munchausen syndrome, it sounds like. So it wasn't just Eminem who had issues with this. It's also Josto.
1: Don't you think that was a sign of Munchausen syndrome? Um, uh, was it? Are you, are you like referring to just how she kept her and had her special juice or whatever?
0: Yeah, but she's had to see a lot of doctors. She had to do a lot of things. And my mom was always there to care for me. There's, there's a lot of this there yeah. in, in that psychological um, disorder is that they want them to be sick so that they can take care of them. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. My guess is she was poisoning her and that's
1: why she secretly she's likes so to... so into poisons? Yeah, think so? I think that is, uh, I think that's pretty good, Bill. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that one. And just maybe, we're
0: also hinting at uh, Josto, you know, got, got unfortunately m- maybe molested by uh, Oni Mulligan. That's just my guess. Because she cut him off. She, he said something about he's done, he does things to kids that, you know, he did things to me and then she shushed him.
1: Yep, she def- so not good. She definitely shushed his uh, little so- sob story of abuse there. Which, well, they but they both they both
0: kind of did it. Like when she told that, he's like, "Well, yeah, but my childhood is clearly worse." And then mm-hmm. he starts to tell why, and then she's like, "Ah, shush!" And
1: they they are one upping their yeah. stories of abuse.
0: Yeah, because yeah. because he, he said the devil is an Irishman, and he said, "I know because I lived there for three years." There's a lot of threes in this episode, by the way. If you're playing the the bill numbers game,
1: yeah, don't play the bill numbers game. It'll make you crazy.
0: It might, but you know, no big deal. The wedding was in March, which is the third month. He was with them for three years. There's more. Wait for it. Oh, I'll get to it. God dang it, Bill. Oh, I know. I'm so sorry. But I think that I feel like those are the two big things, the two big setups for there, from like a character or a standpoint of their characters and what's up with them. She's a possible uh victim of Munchausen mm-hmm. syndrome, and her mother, and still, even though thinks she's an angel for taking care of her the way she did, Josto maybe got a little touched mm-hmm. in the wrong way, and she finds out, though, that Dr. Harvard's not
1: dead. That's going to suck. That is going to suck, but not for us. No. I'm, Someone else. I'm I am i I'll say I'm looking forward to that confrontation, and how that kind of plays out a little bit. But yeah, you're right. Josto and Orieta, they're both kind of these abused uh alpha wannabe alpha <laughs> characters now. They want control. Uh and you can see how they fumble about it when they do have it, or how things go when they do have it. Like things go awry. Things do not go yeah. as planned. Because they're not in control, and they can't be in control because who's in control? you can only control yourself man, yeah, come on, man so I, I did you did you you know coming
0: back to that i it's kind of a bummer like she seems to be such an effective killer, like what happened?
1: what happened, and what where is she going like what is her goal what's the motive? where's the end game yeah. for her is she just gonna flail about killing people in their hospital beds is she after something what is she what it where did, where is her happiness come bill
0: I that's that's a good question I mean I will say when she was giving him the good old chokeout, that was the only time I think I've seen real bliss on her face
2: mm. I mean she was happy but what's interesting though is that it wasn't actually it
1: she was only kind of killing him right she likes pulling meat he likes eating meat yeah i don't know mm. meat and feet man meat episode meat and feet uh
0: we were talking about the rifle tie pin and the yep. other thing did you see did you catch what it was on your rewatch
1: Ooh, i didn't i didn't know i didn't know
0: what it was Jostos is like a sword that goes through his tie.
1: Oh, I thought it was an arrow.
0: I think it might be a sword. Okay. Not positive.
1: Not positive, though. But it is what it is. It is what it is. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, uh, Debbie's got a lot of bling going on there because he's got the rifle and the little arrow thing, and we're talking about their little tie pins. It's a lot Mm -hmm. of, I mean... Okay, so that's two pins, but that's a lot of pins for, like, the two inches of tie that he has exposed. Yeah. (laughs) And then um, Loy has a pin as well. Obviously, these were fashionable at the time, but Loy's pin I thought was interesting because it's sort of this ivory on one side and silver on the other side. But It looked, um, yeah,
0: that's what I thought. I didn't get super close, but but I think you're right. One
1: thing about silver, um, when you think of silver, you think it's, like, a silvery grayish color, but the reality is silver is reflecting light. Right. Um, And generally that light is dark. Uh, Unless you're like facing a white wall or a bright white light, silver is going to reflect dark. So you always think of silver as being bright, and I'm speaking of this because of my experience with packaging design and working with metals and stuff like that. Yeah. You always have to assume that silver is going to be basically black. So his... Tai Pin is sort of two opposing, like white and black, sort of uh, yin and yang kind of thing going on there. Even mm-hmm. though yin and yang is not probably how I would describe it.
0: No, Does, but I know what you mean though. Yeah. What do you think about this whole Gaetano and Justo scene where he punches him out? And evidently, it's a couple references to high. Uh, it's an raising Arizona, little bit of raising Arizona thrown in there. But what do you what do you make of this whole Gaetano? punching him out. Then he wakes up, you know, there she is, sleeping beauty. I'm so proud of you. And then he thinks it's so clever what he did to the and which by the way is a derogatory term. Uh, And he gets to this, I'm the lion, but you're the snake. And then he kind of rephrases it, that he's the bull, and he's strong, and he has strategy. But he calls Josto a
1: chameleon. Yeah, he kept he kept changing it, which it which is what made me question it, because uh, it's like, uh, yeah, you got the lion and the snake and the bull and the chameleon, and then later he's the python. Obviously, that's a snake, but still, it's mm-hmm. it's a different term. Um, yeah, is, do th- I
0: don't know, man. Well, the bro- so, but the brothers are back together. This, you know, this to me is the Gemini thing. Sure, yeah. You know, the twins. And for whatever it's worth, Sharpie, I don't know if you know this, but Gemini is the third three astrological sign.
1: Oh, he's back at it again. I Saba. thought it was going to be a little bit longer, but you really hit me. It's only been a couple minutes. No, no, it's not. It's not. It's not over. Gemini is the third, don't forget, huh? What's the second? Yeah.
0: Uh, oh, that's a good question. Taurus.
1: Oh, the bull. Taurus.
0: The bull <gasps> is number two. And what's the snake?
1: There's no snake.
0: <laughs> and what's the chameleon? What number is the chameleon? The chameleon is number 12. Just kidding. That's Pisces, the fish. Ah, same thing. Here's what I'm thinking. Are we also witnessing a possibility? that? Because we've already said Gatano doesn't think. So why are we looking at this thinking, oh my God, he's right, instead of saying, oh my God, he's an idiot that he doesn't know that... Josto just was winging it with this plan, and it's just... And the, the, idiot, the, the idiotic nature of it is somehow what's making
1: Gaetano admire him. Yeah. Like, and that's, the double cross. And that is where you have... That is, like, true Coen Brothers universe
0: Yeah, following, type you stuff. know, stupid follows stupid, kind of. Yeah.
1: Yeah, precisely.
0: Yeah, I did have to write down that whole oath, because I thought that was interesting. The blood oath that they basically... You know, he's, it's, it's in the silence of the night and under the light of the stars and the splendor of the moon, I vow to safeguard my wise brother and do your will. And then eventually, uh, Josto says, I accept the oath of poison, knowing that from now on, no men will judge you, but that you will judge yourself, and that if you ever betray me or this family, these bullets are for you. And then Catano says,
1: I swear. And then Ebel is super Unimpressed. Yeah, Apple's over there, like, like dad sitting in the corner sipping his whiskey. Like these kids are so dumb. Well, he's pissed, man. He's like, "Where's Doctor?"
0: He, you know, they, they had, they had a relationship. They were smart. They were interesting. They were wise. They've seen some shit. Now they're stuck with the Super Mario Brothers, and you know, big guy, little guy, the Gemini twins. Yeah, which is redundant, isn't it?
1: Uh, unless you are talking about. Somebody uh, whose last name was Gemini, American Gladiators. Yes, and that Ooh. was his last name. His name was Antoine Gemini, and he had a brother named Jeremy. Jeremy. Did you just make up the Jeremy part? And Antoine Gemini, the Gemini twins of American <laughs> Gladiators. They're kind of like the Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen of Gladiators because they swapped the out every once in a while and. You always thought there was just one Gemini, but that was the joke, is that there were two identical twin brothers that mm-hmm. took turns shooting tennis balls at American Gladiators. Or were they were they the Gladiators? Wait, it's your bowl. It's gotta be... <laughs> it's, gotta be it's
0: gotta be... You can get a good look at it. Wait, no. Oh. Uh, well... Here's the here's the thing. So if we it, you know, so that all happens and then uh, eventually, you know, Loy gets to say his thing and he's like what do we do and he gets to say Fargo boom commercial break. Then we open back up at the Smutney house to what I upon second viewing feel is one of the better scenes of this episode. Okay. Between Buell and DeBrell.
1: But before before that oh. when when um Loy says Fargo what were you thinking? 'Cause I immediately thought, Yay, we're going to Fargo. No, I did not. You didn't think that you were like, Let's I knew he was making a call Mort Kellerman.
0: Yes. I'm, he was calling he 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 put those guns on layaway. <laughs> 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 Only to call them back later. I knew it was the Mort Kellerman call. Okay. I mean, let me rephrase, I didn't know. I thought it was the Mort Kellerman call and felt pretty confident about it because he has to. I mean, why would he be like, I'm going to go to Fargo. See ya. I'm waving at Sharpie right now. You guys can't see. Why would he, you know, that's not Lloyd's way. He ain't going to disappear. He's got he's to get the strong arms up here. Yeah. Strong, right.
1: strong men from Fargo. Wishful thinking from me. I thought we were going to go mm-hmm. to Fargo. Maybe go to Aladdin's Cafe. Yeah. And get a delicious Euro. Wait, are you ventures? talking about Aladdin Cafe or Cafe Aladdin? I think they're equally good.
0: It's because they're the same place with two different names owned by two brothers. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. See how I brought even that Far- actual Fargo reference home? <laughs> uh, so can we talk about do do du- du- Buell and DeBrell and their little chat? Yeah, okay, now we can talk about it. And go. What? Well, I'm curious. What I thought, I thought it was a strong scene. We've been introduced to these two women who are clearly strong, clearly well, uh, like formed in their opinions and ideas. And it's a, a a place in this season that I think has been, at times, overplayed by the whole. Mm, tough guys with guns have fight, and they bash into each other a lot. And there's all sorts of other. Stuff that could happen, like we've seen this a lot, haven't we? Mobsters. I mean, I know this is Fargo. I, I get it. I, I know, but it's a show of mobsters. It is, but you know this was I. I haven't. I feel like I have to watch it a third time to really digest what just happened between these two women. You know, well, all the way from you know who I am, all the way to I can't help you. To they, there's just a certain amount that's spoken and a, a, spoken and a certain amount that's not. And that they're both locked into these, in like, terrible situations, but they can't always reach across and help each other for, for all sorts of strange reasons.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about the nadir, uh, you're talking about a, a lowest point, basically, right? Yes. Like, straight down, bottom, rock bottom. And I feel like both of these women feel like they're Are at feeling their it. nadir. Um, Debrell is feeling a little bit hopeless. Um, they just lost their business. Uh, her daughter who is super smart and talented is all caught up in this and she's worried that perhaps she's ruined her life. Um, so they're indebted to all these mobsters. Their life's on the line. Her sister's off gallivanting around being chased by police. She is at her nadir. Also, Buell, Buell Cannon, is at her nader because in her mind, her son, Satchel, is now dead. gone forever. And he's dead, and she's like Be- because extremely because they traded him.
0: They tra- they traded the kid.
1: Yeah, he's dead because of what they did as a family. Well, he's dead because of what we well, can eventually talk
0: about between you know the thought of it though the the, con- mm. the you know. The, the situation they're in, whether it's true or not about the death, they're in this because of what happened. But when Buell, like, especially when she talks about that and Buell talks about people come to my husband, she's she's talking about other people, but you know they're talking to each other, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. People come to my husband for help and at the end of their rope, and they think they have nothing left to lose, but there's always lower you can go. And I thought, whoa, awful. like. She's just lost her kid, but she's also kind of admitting, "This is terrible." But I don't. I is this as low as it goes? Because it always seems to be. There's another bottom. Is you know? this
1: the Nader, or or is the Nader coming? Hard to know. That should have been Ralph Nader's running slogan. Yeah. Is the Nader coming? No, wait, that'd right. be bad. I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you know, and interesting though, Nader, interesting no though, though it wasn't isn't it? I think it's Debrell who said something. You know, she has some sort of. She, uh, we can't. We can't know his plans. All we can do is have faith, and then very quietly, Buell says, "Amen." And then, then we. I think we, that's when we switch scenes to, and then uh, the Edith, the Edith, uh, Piaf, "Le Petit Homme" song, and of course more French music, and we see these two kind of young you know, I would say young portions of hope in both of the family, whereas uh, Ethel Rita is on the right path, you know, wants to study, wants to do these things, and Lemuel's kind of loose canoning oh, loose canoning.
2: It's <laughs> <is laughs> kind, is, is can. kind of paving
0: he's kind of paving a, a swervier route to that because he's a little more artistic, a little more you know, but we get a very accurate description of those two just talking about about bird and jazz and
1: that she likes structure and he wants to just go where the music takes him.
0: Yeah. Fun uh do you want f- fun fun random fact from the scene? I didn't bring it up last night cuz it would have taken me too long to explain. Let me guess what it
1: has to do with. Does mm, it do have it. to do with the giant picture that's in front of uh No. No. But I want to hear about this picture now. Tell me about the picture.
0: Nope. Oh, come on.
1: Does it have to do with one of the records?
0: It has to do with the record that he holds up. Yeah. Okay. It is Duke Ellington at Fargo, 1940 live, which is in fact true. It actually happened. So if you want to, I'm not going to go deep catalog on it, but if you want to look it up, it is a true thing. Some dudes, Duke Ellington came and played here live in Fargo. Sharpie, like so, it was at Broadway and First Avenue South, Um, and this is one of those like people don't realize the kind of the musicians. Like Bob Dylan lived in Fargo for a while, and I I mean I have friends who saw him play here, and uh, Fargo has kind of some famous music history. Um, At the same time, it's also Fargo Moorhead is where um, the Big Bopper and Buddy Holly were flying to come here to play a show, and the plane crashed. Fargo killed him. Yep, totally. Uh, But anyway, Duke Ellington Live was in Fargo, Sharpie. It was uh, at at a place that doesn't exist anymore; hasn't existed since we were even born. But um, it was the Crystal Ballroom, and it was on the. There was a place called the Fargo City Auditorium, and it was on the corner of First Avenue South and Broadway. Which, if you kind of can picture where that is, that's basically kind of behind where Wimmers was, Mm -hmm.
1: right? Or, it's right by our or, old office. Or it's where Wimmers is. But that's Maine. Yeah, I suppose you're right. But sorry,
2: we're getting into
0: Fargo history. Anyway, long story short, it, it's a really cool thing. Um, these guys recorded this live show, and it's regarded as one of the best live um, jazz recordings. And uh, it actually won... Uh, oh, What did it win? I think it won a Grammy or something like that. Cause, but the the crazy part about why can't it be in this scene is because it wasn't actually that record was not released until 1978. <laughs> because until 1978, that live record that was recorded straight to like platters was never given to anyone. That was one of the things they said they wouldn't do was release it. And so all the way into the 60s, no one had ever listened to it any other way than playing them back on these these original platters. that that they cut it on live. And they had to it. So that thing
1: survived for like 30 years before it was released? Yes.
0: And the guy who did it, the guy who did it, these kids were called, they were, they were, it was like 1939 and they got together and reached out. You should just, you should look it up. It's a really cool story, but it was just a fun fact that in this little scene, we've spent too much time on it. No. He holds up the record though, but it says Duke Ellington at Fargo. 1940 live. Go check it out. It's a great record. I've actually listened to it. Wow. So yeah, yeah. Pretty fun. That's really fun. The whole, that whole, the, the, the ballroom's leveled and all that stuff, but still it's, it's pretty,
1: it's pretty cool. My grandma used to talk about the crystal ballroom. Yeah. She used to talk about all these like crazy times they used to have like at the crystal ballroom. And then there was another like uh roller skating rink. Um, downtown for indoor roller skating there was they also would talk about how they used to take the train back and forth from fargo to detroit lakes and just like get smashed oh yeah yeah (laughs) that sounds awesome there's
0: there's this really crazy now people are like we didn't tune in for this history there's this really cool house on detroit lakes and the train used to pull up right there and that's where like teddy roosevelt and a bunch of people used to get off and go fishing on the lake and ice fishing in the winter so a lot of cool history out here not just all boring and murder But anyway, we see Lemuel and Ethel Rita talk, and they clearly have a little bit of a spark or interest in chatting with each other, even though they're very opposite. She likes structure, he likes to go by the feeling, but as we said last night, Dabrell is very seriously reminding him that he's your captor, not your friend.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And some people are like, well, that's not, they're not holding him prisoner, it's like, it doesn't have to be that literal. They they've moved they've turned their home into a cigarette and booze warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great against their will against their will. I mean I think, Jesus if that was the fifties for me I'd be light them up Johnny.
2: Hmm.
1: Give me some of those American brand cigs. Yeah. ABCs. Mm hmm. Yeah well they're both young uh, adolescent teens and they. They definitely had uh, some mini crushes going on there.
2: Yeah.
0: Opposites attract Bill. We're, if we're going back in order here, Orietta has her um, hurried situation at the hospital. Turns out it wasn't just the, uh, gauze techs in the cookies. Little, uh, little
1: strychnine. Whoops. Yeah. That'll, I mean, that'll mess a guy up. She, do you think, do you think her relationship with, Josto is throwing off her poison game a little bit. You think she's getting soft? I, yeah, I think she's getting sloppy. She's
0: getting all that tied up fun and now she can't perform elsewhere?
2: <laughs> I don't know.
1: I don't know either, man.
0: Uh, I don't know. I think it's I think it's just a it's it's been a re- it's a really fun setup I think to see her um so off her game, she's unsteady, and she's mostly whether she's right or wrong in it. She's always been very sure-footed about what she's doing. Oh, she's sure-footed, and that she's right. Well, especially when she's sticking her toes in Josto's mouth. But, um, you know, I mean, she just but she's she really gets flustered, and that's when we get to see her with her her quick steps home.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have to say, I don't I don't agree with you that there was any camera trickery. I think that's just her.
1: I think you're right. <laughs> I kept watching it and I was like, nope, that's pretty good.
0: <laughs> I Okay, so I thought for a minute, I thought, oh my God, is she walking like the witch in The Wizard of Oz? So I pulled up a bunch of clips of The Wizard of Oz and watched them and I was like, nope, not really. And I did right before we started recording and so I don't screw it up. I, we did get a comment about that uh, as well. so. Definitely. Thanks for that shout out, Mark. I was thinking very similarly. Some of the some of the same stuff, but you know, here if we're gonna do into the grab bag, uh, Mark uh, tweeted us. You know, he's, not to mention because he, he thought her mimicking the walk of the Wicked Witch was happening as well. Mm. And uh, but he said something. Not to mention the bright red hair creates a negative, uh, a green negative color value on her face, which as you and I both know, as video editors and color correction too, that mm-hmm. that does happen. Um, and when she is, uh, and she goes, and she's Justo's drug dealer, calls to mind when the Wicked Witch of the West lulls, uh, lulls them to sleep with the blooming poppies as they approach the Emerald City. So, huh, huh. astute, very astute, very
1: astute. Thank you for that. I picture Orietta's walk is because underneath that dress, it's really like six different, it's like six feet, six small feet, just pitter-patter along. You think so? Along. Hmm. Yep. Everybody knows that witches tend to have six feet. More feet than you think? Yeah, it's still two legs, but three feet on each leg. Yeah. And they can't take very big steps, despite the legs. I know that it doesn't sound like the science adds up, but that's how it works. And that's what people with six feet walk like.
0: You know, th- thinking about all this, like, who's the witch, who's the this, and you know, we've had some people write in that, like, maybe people can be more than one thing, you know, not only one slightly differing thing, you could be the lion, or you can be the tin man in a situation, you know, because we all have personality traits and faults and things, but uh, Marissa wrote in, too, she said, wow, there's this duality between the Wizard of Oz characters, you know, we're we're getting this double story already, you know, when she's like, you were there, and you, and you, so credit to her for this, you know, and it was actually played by the same characters in the movie too. So I think something is going to come out that we're seeing these. This, you know, this is this duality we've kind of been talking about. Mm. You know, you have two shadows. You have two. Sorry to talk about twos and numbers again, but I mean it. it really is. But you know, it's I mean, important. it's like it's like, it is. I mean, it's like people do this on a really minor scale. You're not the same at work. You know what I mean? Like when people always joke about what's your work phone, your work voice phone yeah. call like. Like normally, you'd be like, eh, I'm talking like this." People call you like, "Hello, this is Bill. How can I help you?" <laughs> you know, you move, you move the register up because you want to sound like you're. Uh,
1: I'm. I can help. You want to feel happy about that, but you know what's funny man. is I think that uh, now that we've all been isolated for seven, eight months now, is that was definitely a thing in the very beginning. It was hilarious when people were talking about it. Uh, how all these partners are seeing their loved ones work, work voices and, and stuff like that. Uh, but now <laughs> yeah, it's kind of yeah. funny because now it's, we, we're all over it. So, and, and we're not over the fact that we we're seeing this other voice. We're over the voice itself. It's like, I feel like our you work. Think so? I feel that way. Maybe it's just me. My work voice is like, uh, now that we're just on, uh, these video calls all day long, I've, They've become the same person. My work. They've person, seen your cat walk through the room. Yeah,
0: it takes away all your totally authority.
1: like comfortable now. I've slipped into oh. the comfort zone. I had a really good friend from college who worked for, with me for a while, and
0: <laughs> we were in one of the first like meetings we were in that involved like clients. <laughs> and when we left, he goes, "That was weird, man." I'm like, "What?" And he goes, "I just always know you to be so weird and whatever." He's like, "Man, you were like." Focused on some shit. (laughs) It's just like, and if you want to be successful at this, you need to get your shit together, and you need to. (laughs) And he was just like, "I didn't, I didn't know you didn't do that in college." And I was like, "No, of course I didn't. No one's paying me for that." I think the second best scene. (laughs) No sequitur there. No. I think the second best scene, though. I felt more tension. You know, and and good and a good just like woo between the two between Loy and Deffy, yeah, that got pretty intense for me. I don't think it's been like the best scene of the season. I just mean he's just man. There's a lot of dirt in that and pontificating, and then on top of that, like a certain amount of um, racism though. Telling him certain things, the fact that he calls him boy made me just go, oh God, Deffy, you fucker, you mm-hmm. know.
1: That exchange, to me, felt very much like the all-too-prevalent, these days, social media exchange between two opposing viewpoints. Um, And here's why. Because Deffy is sitting there telling Loy who he is and what he's about and explaining, you know, you're a criminal and these are your values and you don't obey this and you don't adhere to that. And this is how you think. And that kind of stuff, which we see all the time on social sure. media, is that people build these villains in their head and put that, whatever creature they created in their mind, onto real live social media accounts where there's an actual person behind there. And they they apply everything in their mind, everything they want to hate onto that other person and that's kind Did of Did you open what a parlor what? account this week? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> I just found out what that was this week. How long has oh, that been around? <laughs> oh, too long. Uh, I'm sorry. I, was, I shouldn't um, make light of that.
0: No, you're making a very good
1: point. I, so, I, Deffy's doing that. He's telling Loy that he's a criminal and these are the rules that criminals um, go by and then Loy says something that really stood out to me and he says, you know, it's the way you're unfriendly. It's like you're doing me a favor. Um, And that, to me, is a little bit, ties into a little bit of the concept of sea-lining. Have you heard of that? Which is like a social media tactic that was basically, well, it didn't start as a social media tactic, but an argument, like a debate tactic, kind of like uh, exploited by Karl Rove, Newt Gingrich, and those types, where you act like you're... You, you, you act like you're on the high ground um, and like you're this like you're just trying to help but really you're kind of demeaning the entire time in the way you're doing it so the the it's the way you're unfriendly like you're doing me a sure. favor so, right look- now though Sharpie
0: <laughs> there are people dying listening to this because there's one thing maybe you didn't catch that was like a Mike Milligan quote <laughs> between him and Lou Salverson. Oh, so we've I already not totally remember that.
2: <laughs>
0: so we already have a conversation between another cop and another black man, and it's Lou. And Mike Milligan uh, says, I like him. I like you. Met another fellow from Minnesota yesterday. Big guy. Sheriff, I think. I liked him too. And Lou says, we're very friendly people. And Mike Milligan responds, no, that's not it. Pretty unfriendly, actually, but it's the way you're unfriendly. You're so polite about it. And he, then he says, like, you're doing me a favor. Oh,
1: good one. No, I didn't catch that. You're so good at this. <laughs> uh, I didn't catch that. I saw that. Somebody posted it. So, Oh. But still,
0: it, it was one of those, you have a hunch about it because I actually wrote it down. You know? Yeah. I probably would have got there at some point, but... It's it's all our friendly friends and people who send things in that help me, but I still think there's something to be said in general. I think we've talked about it on the show before, the whole passive-aggressive Midwestern thing. It's very prevalent up here, where people sometimes think, oh, that person was real nice. I've been with out-of-staters, and they go, that guy was pretty nice. I was like, that guy was a fucking dick. <laughs> like, what? I was like, yeah, that's what being an asshole looks like up here sometimes. Mm. And they just don't get. They don't get it. But you just that's, have to, to cut me, through that's, the bullshit. <laughs> but that's but that's the kind of thing that Mike Milligan statement, this Lloyd Cannon thing. It's kind of true, you know. And, and not kind of. It is true in a bunch of situations. But I still think, in a lot of ways, um, you know, the criminal is the criminal is capable of love and loyalty. I think this is still talking about how we can any person, you know, and Duffy's a jerk. He's a he's a racist Mormon, right? Like, he's just a racist. It doesn't matter if he's Mormon. Mm-hmm. I mean, racism. <laughs> you know, being a dick isn't being a dick is an equal opportunity employer, unfortunately. Uh, but I mean, it's the whole you can wear two masks. And he and Loy are having this conversation about it. You know, he's talking about criminals, and then Loy tries to say, "Yeah, but I I'm like a big guy at my church," and then eventually though he says, "You know." The Lord knows it's a disguise, and he talks about, you know, you, you're trading your son for power and money. And you got to admit, I mean, really what's happening here are two people who are seemingly on the opposite side of an issue, and they're both fucked up. Yep, exactly. Right? I mean, <laughs> that's I mean, what
1: I'm saying. <laughs>
0: yeah, oh, I'm sorry. I totally missed that. you were. I mean, I, you were talking about social media, and you kind of lost me on part of that. But, yeah, it's a weird. Like, they're almost, they're almost looking in a mirror. They're both <laughs> faulty on so many fronts, you know? They both are holding up their own value of morality. They're both holding up their own values, and and in the end, you're both like you're you're like, man,
1: both of you are kind of fucked up. Yeah, like all these social media arguments. Except for me, I'm never fucked up. I'm always on the right side. No,
0: everything you say on social media is perfect (laughs) (laughs) because you're right. I'm right. It was zero stocking. We talked about it last night. The green stocking is zero and has a snowman on it, just staring right at the side of. Good old Deffy's face. Get to it.
1: Or Zero. But he's alive. And he went on to he's, create well, the accounting software Zero. Zero. Spelled with an X. Yep. Uh, so
0: we get down to the old uh, police station. Mm-hmm. And we find out there's a rear entry joke. Good times. Uh, they're leaving at 10 a.m. Or 10 p.m. on, by the way, Sharpie, they're leaving on track three just in case you were wondering if I was going to bring those threes back up. They're leaving on track three, and after he discusses what they do, they read from Psalm 91, verse three. Uh, But no big deal. I'm sure it's all a coincidence. I do think it was a very good psalm, you know, the fowler's snare and covering you with his wings. And clearly, (laughs) clearly the Lord wasn't looking out for dead feet on this day. (laughs) Sorry, deafie. But if he didn't die, how could he go on to be on that episode of The Mandalorian?
1: That's right. You know,
0: check out The Mandalorian, folks, on Apple TV+.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can hear our show about that, which doesn't exist and won't. Man, can you imagine you and I getting into arguments about Star Wars with nerds? Oh,
1: God. Maybe we and should... I say, nerd with, I say nerd with a loving tone, for real. Maybe we should just do a podcast on Timothy Elephant appearances. As lawmen. As lawmen, because
2: that's all there is.
0: <laughs> the show will be called Dead Justified. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, we'll do it. I'll let, I'm going to put that on our schedule just so you know. <laughs> okay, so Deffy and... Uh, we get the whole conversation between Deffy and Otis and... I, you know, and we already talked about there's a creepy snowman there staring at him, too, that's turned very seriously to the side. Is just staring at, you know, like that. You want to start a fight with someone, you just walk up to their side and just get your face in the side of their face. You're just staring at him. If that snowman could blow cigarette smoke in Deffy's face, it would have.
1: Yeah, like it, was it is a, Western. a creepy snowman. It looks like the cover of, uh, what was that horror movie Jack Frost? Frost or something like that. I don't know. I shouldn't have brought it up. Yeah, back. the one with Mike. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was Michael Keaton. Yeah. Right? Uh <laughs> was it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm almost positive. It was Michael Keaton was the voice of Jack Frost. Uh okay, anyway, but we we basically find out though that that uh you know, Otis is trying to turn a new leaf, but we don't know if it's true. I still don't know what Otis is up to. I don't know where his quote-unquote courage is coming from because I still think he's ooh ooh what? In this conversation, I thought it very interesting that uh, Deffy said, he ain't been fooled by man or beast. Mm. A lion. You don't think so? You don't think that was a lion reference?
1: Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. You yeah. questioned mean, whether or not in the hot dish, uh, you questioned what, who really was he talking to on the phone in the police station? Otis. I feel like it was Lloyd, but
0: how do we know for sure?
1: Um, and we might not know for sure. But I question what Loy may have said, and I don't know if we really talked about that because do you think Loy commanded uh, Otis to kill Debbie?
0: That's the part I'm. I think I personally think it was Loy, but I question whether or not at that very moment if if Otis made a his own decision because he had maybe he realized in all of this that he's like I just fessed up to this guy that I take money on the side and I work with criminals and. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like he, he He's still in some sort of danger, and he made a decision to do it, or did Loy tell him to do that? I I have a weird feeling, if you go back and you watch the end of that scene where Deffy and Loy are talking, he just has this look on his face like, hmm, yeah, I'll fix this later. Mm. Just a thought.
1: I don't know. I don't know if I felt that way, but I don't, because I just don't think Loy would have said, go after the women, because... Loy said those, there would be no harm coming to those women, so I don't think he would have said, like, "You got to go get rid of them women before
0: they do." Um, but but had they served its purpose for him, they did the thing he wanted. He wanted to get them as far away from there. Yeah, I don't man. you got me wondering. Hmm, Tell us what you think. Mm-hmm. Send us a note at podcast at fargotoxfargo.com or we're at Fargotoxfargo Fargo on the Twitter. Uh. Oh, man, you got me in. That's a good question, Charby. I feel
1: like he, I feel like Loy still wanted to be true to his word to not bring them harm, and he's like, listen, Otis Palomino, you've got get to get rid of this marshal. So whatever you got to do, do that. And then he did that, and then, I don't know, because he's uh, he couldn't, I don't know, he got confused <laughs> or something with his tics and got into this other got rage or something and then shot Swanee and then really fucked it up. I don't know. I can't explain it, okay? My theory is falling apart, but I feel like the main I, no, goal was to there's I don't think there's, don't think there's anything Duffy. wrong with
0: your questioning of it because now that I'm thinking about I mean, it wasn't like he shows up, he says something like, attaboy, weff, like he's happy to see him, he hands him the handcuffs, and very, very quickly, he, you know, Duffy has kind of this look on his face, you know, of of like worry and concern, and he's already, he's looking at them, and I don't know, there's something weird about the look on. If you go back and look, there's something different about the look on uh, Swanee's face. Like, all right, hurry up with this, get on with it. We know we're supposed to be safe here, and he looks at him and turns away. But I mean, he takes the. I mean, there's no. St- there's almost no moment between taking the handcuffs and shooting him. Now, okay, I just fast-forwarded to it. It's, no, they're all confused. He shoots him. Swanee is like, what the French just happened there? Mm-hmm. And no sooner does he just cap her. Blasted. Literally, capped her.
1: Before that, before they go into Union Station, uh, Duffy- You mean the Untouchables scene? Yeah, Deffy. <laughs> <laughs> we miss you, Sean Connery. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Deffi gives Otis this little speech about how the pelican uh, can fit more in his beak than his belly can. Maybe yes. maybe what old it, maybe what Otis holds in his mouth is more than his stomach can handle. a little bit.:
0: Or I was thinking it was also a little bit um, you know, it's generally that is linked to Dixon Lanier Merritt, an American poet and humorist who wrote that.: Yeah. Uh, And the one that most people know, it was published in 1913, was, Oh, what a wondrous bird is the pelican. His beak holds more than his belly can. He takes in his beak food enough for a week, but I'll be darned if I know how the hell he can. That's the one. I just thought it was funny that he (laughs) made... That's the closest thing to a real joke joke he was trying to do. Mm -hmm. And... I was sitting there thinking similar, like, did he bite out? Who was biting off more than they can chew, or where do you put it, or how do you swallow that much, yep. crap at once? But I don't know. There's something to that. I don't think that was picked just on the, the basis of just like,
1: oh, here's a funny limerick. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. Did you get any? I mean, we don't. Did even, you get any diehard vibes from that scene?
0: No, why would I get diehard vibes? It's, it's literally shot in the same place a, a, as the untouchable scene. I got some diehard vibes.
1: <laughs> I got no
0: diehard. Wait, not. Which diehard are you talking
1: about? The first one where he's got the gun strapped to his uh, back with the.
0: This with doesn't the, look anything like ta- Nakatomi Tower.
1: <laughs> it's just the narrow hallway in the shootout.
0: Oh okay, okay I'll, I'm talking about the scene leading up to that with all the people and the candy and the all the you know that's oh. straight out of that's straight out of the Untouchables, which is also a partial rip from another movie that escapes me. Do you want to talk at all about uh, about what's his face? you know you know this dude the lurking
1: unmentionable you
2: know. Yeah um, snowman
1: just don't say his name three times. <sighs> okay, I won't. I've
0: I've paused many times to see all sorts of stuff. He is not dressed in uh, what I would call the garb of today. Oh, fun little fact though! Just now that I looked back at my notes for the first time, the train to Sioux Falls is Mm. train six (laughs) six (laughs) six.
2: Yeah,
1: that's a good one.
0: Yeah, he makes yeah, and then so yeah, Palomino, Geronimo, all that the snowman. Man, that's, I keep calling him the snowman, but I know it's just snowman is what's listed in the credits. He, he, he is wearing a very seemingly old costume. I don't know what you call it. Like in the old days, like in the revolutionary time where you wore tights and like these kind of shorter knee pants, you know what I'm talking about? Like this guy is from mm. quite a ways back. Go, go watch it and you'll totally see it in the, in the passing crowd. Uh, in the first section of it, and then they they cut back to Swanee and her face, and by the way, that that transition is just fantastic because it's just creepy enough that it works. But...
1: Do you think, I mean, do you think he's from an era that's um, in which none of our characters that we're seeing would have known him? No. I think he's from a very older time.
0: Hmm. All these all those tiny buttons. I mean just from a wardrobe perspective, it's He's from Tiny Button really, Times? He is Tiny Buttons. TBT. Tiny buttons. Wait, though, that's tiny bubbles, Don Ho. For real. If you if you were to stop Everybody all, if knows. you were on watching watching on Hulu and you stop with twelve minutes and forty nine seconds left, and I wish I could send this to you. He's in kind of a longer waistcoat with a vest under it and he does have like some sort of shirt and I don't I keep wanting to say it it's not an ascot it's not big enough to be an ascot it's maybe more of a cravat and and he's wearing you can tell he is not wearing regular pants you can tell that from the knees up are like this more bunched up thing and then from there down he's wearing kind of more of the tights like like bounding fathers era kind of shit I'm not joking mm. man i wouldn't lie to you about this
1: okay i'm looking at him Okay, yeah, that that looks to be about 1867, uh, I would say, based on the button size. <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate uh, yeah, it. Yeah, definitely during the Reconstruction period, after the Civil War.
0: Yeah, maybe.
1: Which... But yeah, he's, he's something. Following that Reconstruction period, um, you're talking about like 1877-ish? Post-Civil to- War. 1920s-ish is when you have a period known as the Nader of American race relations. You are also correct. I'm glad to see you. Uh, you
0: I didn't bring that one up. <laughs> I did read about it. Uh, but yeah, he's this this guy. I don't know what it is. I don't know who he is or what it's to represent, if he's just a version of death or, or what. But I still think he looks frostbitten and
1: eaten up. But, hmm. Maybe that. Maybe that's just time taking its toll. You know, when you get super old and your nose just falls off.
0: Hey, in a, in a, in a scene of like greatness though, that that's that. I seriously, one of the most joyful moments of me was when Zelmar just like Zelmar just looks at Daffy and just goes, "It's me." It was like <laughs> it felt like a total like a goofy David Lee
1: Roth moment for me. <laughs>
0: I don't know why I'm thinking about David Lee Roth. It's probably because he was on an episode of The Sopranos I watched. Anyway. Well, but let's he be just real. The, like I
1: thinking about David Lee Roth.
0: But he did like, he almost, she almost, she just, she almost missed the finger gun pointing like Buddy Christ from, from, <laughs> from Dogma. <laughs> she's got that sucker in her mouth and she's like, hey buddy, there he is. Yeah. And then she's like, it's on, it's on. Yeah.
1: She just had to know that he was a marshal because they don't know what each other look like, do they? He might from like a prison photo, but.
0: There has to be something that, that between them, she just knows. No one will yeah. be looking out over that, she and saw he's that just got hat. that look. Yeah. Uh, also, speaking of faces on the other side of that spectrum, really on the second watch, man, Deffy's face dead against the wall. He still sees. His eyes are open, and he just has this disapproving look on his face. Pretty Got to be pretty tough for uh, Otis. Maybe yeah. he should start eating carrots.
1: I bet your heart just sank when you saw him die. You love him. It'll be okay.
0: Like I said, like I said, Mandalorian was a nice thing. Other than that, I mean, the only other thing I keep can't stop thinking about, you know, in this whole, you know, the last scene, the Italian mother and all this business is. Wait, I was counting the amount of guys (laughs) with with really kick ass weapons, and somehow they were driven away by Gatano with two pistols. <laughs> Just wildly firing into the woods. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm like, well, if their goal was to kill the house and the two women inside it, you know, I'd give that a nine out of 10. If their goal was to shoot the tiny guy hiding behind the wood pile or, and the big guy facing you, you know, head on, I'd give them like 1.5 out of 10. Fargo
1: boys... Uh... Didn't really know what they were doing. They just got those guns. I mean, you got to give them a break. They're probably just learning them. Learning well, them. Well, I mean, and it looked yeah. it, it looked. cold <laughs> out. Maybe their finger, their trigger fingers were. You know how it is when it's that cold out. You can't even feel your hands, except for like the slightest little, the slightest yeah, little maybe. boop then really hurts. <laughs> <laughs> boop, ow. Like you can't feel your hands, but everything hurts. Yeah, now you want to make
0: me look. Did they have gloves on? Because if they had gloves on, then there's no excuse. Well, Ooh. Gatano had gloves on. Little 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 Josto was hiding behind the wood pile, had
1: gloves on. Let's see, did Mort Kellerman's people have on gloves? He's hiding behind the wood pile because you know what? That's what snakes do. You gotta watch out when you're reaching into the wood because there's snakes in there. That's a thing.
0: Yeah. Wait, when you reach into the wood pile? Yeah. Oh bro, I'm full on paused. Full on paused with three forty four left and good old Mort. Wearing himself a nice pair of leather gloves, so our, our cold fingies theory goes right out the window. Right out the window.
2: Mm. Uh-huh.
0: The one guy's wearing earmuffs, though. So at least his ears are warm. That's fine. Mm. I just don't... I, that's one of the things I didn't buy. I'm like, wait. They, they smoke all the guys standing with their back to the property, pretty much. <laughs> the one guy gets burned. <laughs> Josto hides
2: and Gatano... The Miracle Man, the bull, Dri- the bull drives away the matador,
0: plural matadores, Mat-a- matadors, matadai. I don't know matadai.
1: Okay, mat-a-mida. so the Mat-a-nader. matamida, matamida, <laughs> mat-a-mida. the nader. Let's finish the nader. Okay, here. so the nader. Uh, so obviously, there's a lot of racial tension in this um, show. Definitely some nods yes. to some social issues that we've been going through for oh, you know, two hundred years. Um. This, the Nader is a low point, but this obviously has to be chosen for a name for the, the name of this episode has to be chosen for you know the term that's been used for race relations at their lowest point for by many historians, and that is that period I referenced earlier from 1877 yes. through. I mean, who knows when it ends? Has it ended? <laughs> I, I mean, I just, was gonna
0: say to, to to say that that's ended is is not real.
1: Yeah, but it, it's basically like uh, historians and scholars are talking about what was the lowest point for minorities in America, and that and they're kind of pinning it around that early uh, 20th century time um, when mm-hmm. African Americans were obviously struggling. They lost a lot of rights they had gained during the Reconstruction after the Civil War, so they gained a lot of rights and then basically lost freaking all of them, uh, but also not... Uh, uh, we shouldn't fail to mention the treatment of the Chinese as well on the West coast. Um, so lots of just terrible racism around that period, which is often referred to as the nadir of American race relations. And who knows, obviously we're still dealing with a lot, a lot of issues in regard to that. So long way to go. Uh, but that's definitely a reference in this episode. Um, but let's talk about, the nader of some of these characters because we're I think we're seeing a lot of low points in this episode. We've got like we mentioned earlier, Buell is at the the nader of her life with her. She's son she's gone. down. We've got Orietta's world is crashing down. She might feel like she's in a little bit of a nader. Mm-hmm. Josto's plan failed originally, so with his brother, so that was sort of a naderish kind of thing.
0: Well, and his weird nader, because nothing's normal about his character, is that he's planning a marriage to someone he doesn't like, and he actually admits that he loves someone. Yeah. Who, who just happens to be a pill-popping, pushing murderer. Mm-hmm. That's a low point. That's a pretty low point. I'd say, <laughs>
2: I'd, I'd say that. Zelmar- I mean,
1: outside of a outside of the slap and tickle, everything's not so good. Yeah. Zelmar's uh, lover that she's just infatuated with, Swanee, is killed. By Otis, so she's she she survives. Remember, she runs off, just steamrolls that guy. She's gonna be in an extreme low point of her life because she's just head over heels for Swanee. So, but but also very vengeful. Also vengeful. You're gonna have to watch out for her. Mm-hmm. Um, the marshal, Dick Deffy, he's dead. That's definitely a low point. That's well, he's <laughs> about to get six, he's about to get six feet lower. Yep. And Josto and Gaetano, I mean, their mother is killed. Super low point, and you know, half of their henchmen. Right? Yeah, I mean,
0: they've basically in the course of the show, they've lost their mother and their father. Yeah. And 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 Otis is at his lowest point as well. Because we know from him speaking with Deffy that he was he was taking a little scratch here, a little there. He wasn't We never have got a hint at him dragging people out to the woods and killing them or disappearing anyone, so now Deffy is probably at the lowest point in his life, with the exception of losing his his fiance. Mm-hmm. He's now taken himself to a completely new criminal level. He's at the apex of his criminal history and at mm-hmm. the the you know the nadir of his his morality. Yep,
1: that's a good way of
0: putting it, Bill. And the snowman is just he's everything now. Mm. He's he's exactly who he needs to be. Somebody get that he's man in his the carrot. Day. Yeah, So there yeah, you have it. It's solid, man. I love it. Can I do one random tidbit for the end of the show that's been kind of not driving me crazy, but just I find the set dressings interesting? Okay. I spent, I shoot you not, probably an hour comparing the, trying to find the artwork over the left side or what would be the left side of the, I'll just, when I say left, I mean left as you're looking at the screen. There's a white horse and like a brown horse and a tree in the art at Loy's house, mm. trying to find what it is, because I think it's interesting. And on the right side, for a bit last night, I thought, oh, that's the, that's the arch in Washington Square in New York, because he's from New York. But the more I looked at it, it's wrong. And I looked and looked, and I, over, I, <laughs> I took a picture, and I overlaid it. It is, I'm almost positive, it's the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, France, mm. Yeah, hanging on his wall. So, a little bit more of that Paris on the Plains, mm-hmm. Paris connection, and, and all that jazz. But just wanted to pull that out just because I wasted way too much time <laughs> trying to figure it out. But these, oh, are, these are drivers random, in these
1: Another random homes. thing from an a episode past that somebody wrote in and told us, sorry, I don't have uh, your credit. It's okay. But you'll know. Somebody had mentioned that when we were talking making the Wizard of Oz connection, somebody had mentioned that um, Zelmar is standing like in a puddle of water at the Cannon Boxing Complex. Pee Wee's, is that correct? Oh
0: no! Well, that was brought up, but then we also saw there was uh, Otis was staring into that dripping bucket of water. That's what it was at yeah. the end of it. That's what it was. So, so and we it. thought, I thought, who's gonna who's that water gonna get thrown on? Mm-hmm. But. I think, you know, I, I accidentally saw something for the teaser for next week. I won't what? say anything to you about it. I told you I'm sorry. I, I let it keep playing. I walked away, and when I came back, no spoilers. I saw something. And, I, and I'm not going to say anything to you and maybe the people who watch the show. So just always repeat that. Sharpie and I do not watch that part. We never do because I don't want to... It in, I feel like it influences... What we're thinking about, of about course, this it does. It, it will
1: and definitely so, influence this show. It will corrupt so the thoughts. So we can't do it.
0: I, I saw. I saw. Let me rephrase. I saw a small piece of something Shame. at the very end of the thing. Yeah, I'm just saying. Okay, it's
1: all right. Oh, oh,
0: you know what? Should we play this game about uh, like hot off the press?
1: Oh, from something uh, just came in. Mm-hmm. Somebody's listening to us. I gotta live? do
0: this. I gotta. You know what? I'm gonna just say this because I, I for my, I for one, thank you, Regina. We just, this literally came in as we're recording.
1: As we're trying to finish I, this damn show. As
0: we're trying to finish this show, but I just, she said it's probably nothing, but check out this old poem, only if only because Mr. Snowman and because Fargo takes place in the winter. So, we are going to leave you with a poem called The Snowman by Wallace Stevens. One must have a mind of winter. To regard the frost and the boughs of the pine trees crusted with snow and have been cold a long time to behold the junipers shagged with ice the spruces rough in the distant glitter of the January sun and not to think of any misery in the sound of the wind in the sound of a few leaves which is the sound of the land full of the same wind that is blowing in the same place for the listener who listens in the snow and nothing himself beholds Nothing that is not there, and nothing that is
1: theme snowman
0: Fine.
2: what it oh.